0: Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Bert Zipperer, a member of Madison Teachers Incorporated Retirees. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Thank you.
1: Hi, I'm Annette Kuhlmann. This week we take a look at recent Wisconsin Supreme Court decisions, explore the political movement in South America, hear reports of recent labor actions, present our statistic of the week, and much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WRT and Labor Radio.
2: Yes.
0: The Carpenters' Union is calling foul on employer actions at local construction sites and is taking to the streets. Greg Gaboski reports for Labour Radio.
2: On Tuesday, for over four hours, an estimated 30 Labour and community members walked an informational picket called by the Carpenters Union, demanding fair and legal working conditions at the Madison Yard Project, at the former site of the now-demolished State Department of Transportation Building at University Avenue and Segal Road in Madison. Specifically, the union is demanding the removal of one contractor, suburban drywall, which the union claims is making an end around tax and labor laws by exploiting undocumented and immigrant workers. Mike Higgins, business representative for the Carpenters Union, explained why the informational picket was called. So we're out here to fight payroll fraud and tax fraud. It's been
0: kind of rampant in our industry, especially when we start looking at the steel stud drywall industry. Unscrupulous companies will target our Latino communities and abuse them, paying them in cash,
2: not paying workers comp on them, and not paying overtime benefits, things like that. Raul Hernandez, business representative for the North Central States Regional Council of Carpenters, had this to say. It's
1: all about workers' rights, the exploitation of labor on some of these large-scale projects that goes on right under our noses in our
0: backyard.
2: It also uh, undermines the area standards that have been established for working people. Higgins gave the key demand. We'd like to demand that suburban drywall not work on these projects anymore. According to the union, suburban drywall avoids protections granted through a union contract and through labor law by having workers form limited liability companies, or LLCs, to avoid classification as employees. Polo Duran, a business representative for the Carpenters, gave details about how he understands this wage and tax avoidance system works. Well,
3: the companies are telling them that you know, if you want to work for us, you got to get your own LLC. They're supposed to be their own company, but these guys don't know. They think they're employees, actually. They just get told to get an LLC. A lot of these guys think that their taxes coming out of there, but it's not. They're actually responsible for these taxes that they don't know about. At the end of the year, they'll get a 1099, wondering, what's this? I thought my employer was taking the taxes out, but, you know, a lot of these guys, they're trying to fix their citizenship, so they try to do the right thing, and then they'll, they'll, they'll get an attorney and whatever to get the tax person to figure out what they owe on taxes. Some just don't care, they'll just throw the LLC away and then get a new social security number and then just start another LLC.
2: Kevin Gunlock, president of the South Central Federation of Labor, or SCUFL, explained why he was there.
0: The Labor Council's out here to show solidarity with our workers and carpenters that are fighting for better jobs, better wages, and going up against misclassification, which
2: really caused a lot of problems for all the workers in this construction field. Worker Justice of Wisconsin put out a call to the faith community, and at least two Roman Catholic religious answered the call. Here are Father Jim Murphy, a longtime peace and justice activist and pastor of St. Thomas Parish in Montfort, and Sister Maureen McDonald of the Dominican Order of Cincinnati in Cincinnati near the Iowa border, both of whom traveled to Madison for the informational picket.
4: The church, dignity of a person, the dignity of work is something that we want to support. I think that Catholic social teaching
3: tells us that every person has dignity and that workers have a right to a good wage and they have a right to health care and other benefits and good working conditions.
2: Sarah Trongone, Labor Solidarity Co Chair of the Teaching Assistance Association, the TAA, AFT Local 3220, was there and described what she saw as the importance of this action for all workers and members of the Madison community. I'm out here today because this really is a concern for all working people. It really is also a racial justice issue. Contractors are taking advantage of immigrant Spanish speaking workers and all this new construction that probably university students are going to live in, among other people, is going to be funded off the backs of folks who
0: are being exploited.
2: That was Sarah Trongone of the TAA, one of the many union and community representatives at an informational picket, called by the Carpenters Union, held Tuesday at University in Sego in Madison. A smaller informational picket with an estimated 8 to 10 people was held simultaneously in Sun Prairie at another job site at which Suburban Drywall is a subcontractor. Labor Radio contacted the Lake Mills office of Suburban Drywall, but has received no response. Mike Higgins of the Carpenters promises additional actions in the future until problems are resolved. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski.
1: Legal expert Doug Poland explains two recent Wisconsin State Supreme Court decisions and encourages listeners to vote for state judges next April.
5: My name is Doug Poland. I am the partner at the law firm of Stafford Rosenbaum LLP in Madison. In addition, I am the litigation director of Law Forward Inc., which is a nonpartisan, nonprofit law firm that focuses on democracy issues in Wisconsin.
3: The Wisconsin Supreme Court made several significant decisions last week. Please tell us about those.
5: One in particular is the Tygon versus Wisconsin Elections Commission case. That's the one that addressed absentee ballot drop boxes after I addressed the first one, and that is Becker versus Dane County. Over the past couple of years, we've seen a number of cases that address whether Governor Evers or the State Department of Health or county departments of health can issue orders to deal with COVID. The Becker case itself, it actually targeted the question of do local health authorities have any ability to be able to issue emergency orders to deal with things like COVID at all? So the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty brought this as a test case Um, to try to test that theory. There's a broader theory at play here. It's called the non-delegation doctrine. And 100 years ago, it was very much in vogue. The argument was that state legislatures don't have the ability to delegate the power that they have to administrative agencies and especially administrative agencies that are controlled by the executive branch of government. The maximalist interpretation of the non-delegation doctrine is they don't have the constitutional ability or authority to be able to give away those powers to administrative agencies to do the things that are reserved to the state legislature. In the Becker case, we had four justices, the the three liberals plus Justice Hagedorn, who shot down this challenge to Dane County's power based on state statutory grounds. But when it came to looking at this non-delegation doctrine question, in in Justice Krosky's lead opinion, three of the justices said, no, the non-delegation doctrine doesn't apply here. We're not going to reinvigorate it. Justice Hagedorn kind of balked at answering the question. He said that if in the future there were a case that were brought where that kind of evidence, that it was the intent, either of the framers of the Wisconsin Constitution, or it was the intent of the legislature in passing legislation to keep the power for themselves and for this power not to be delegated to local agencies, that he would certainly revisit that question. So this non-delegation doctrine is one that potentially could become important when you think about all the kinds of
3: powers that are
5: exercised by administrative agencies, both statewide and on the local level.
3: What would be an example of a type of power that could be in jeopardy?
5: Environmental, education, health. These are all areas in which government acts at the local and the state level that impact our daily lives.
3: What about the second opinion?
5: So the second opinion is Tiger versus Wisconsin Elections Commission. In Wisconsin, we have two general ways that we can vote in elections. We can vote in person on election day. We've also had the ability to be able to vote absentee. And people vote absentee in a couple of different ways. One, they can vote in-person absentee. This other way we have a voting absentee is mail-in absentee. To address the issues and the health concerns that people had during COVID, there was a new way of returning absentee ballots using drop boxes. So the case went up to the state Supreme Court. There was a four to three breakdown. The court did not address the question, of the mail-in absentee ballots. What the court did say is that drop boxes are not permitted by the Wisconsin statutes. So in the coming partisan primaries in August and in the general election in November, we know that what Wisconsin voters cannot do is they can't give their absentee ballot to another person to take to the clerk's office and drop off. And we know that unstaffed drop boxes can't be used What do you want our listeners to know? So if you, as a voter, don't like the way that the Wisconsin State Supreme Court is ruling and restricting your ability to vote or constraining other freedoms that you believe that we should have, you've got the power to change that as a voter. And your next opportunity to do that will be in April of 2023, and there will be a seat on the Wisconsin Supreme Court that will be
3: up for election. That was Doug Poland. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio.
0: The Union of CUNA Mutual Group in Madison conducted an informational picket on Saturday. Who's got the power? We got
5: the power!
3: What kind of power? Union power!
2: Last Saturday, July 9th, over 100 union and community members marched an informational picket at the headquarters of financial giant CUNA Mutual Group in Madison. CUNA is in drawn-out contract negotiations with its union, Office and Professional Employees International Union, or OPEIU, Local 39. Joe Avicca, chief steward for Local 39, representing CUNA Mutual Workers, explained why the informational picket was called.
5: I think our members are really fired up and engaged and looking forward to negotiating a decent contract and we're tired of the company dragging their feet in the bargaining process and moving incredibly slowly particularly on issues like health care the pension and wages
2: here is brian barber an executive support analyst at cuna and a steward for local 39.
4: we are in our fifth month of negotiations with the company and we are making much less progress than we would like. We have five priorities that we've outlined with the company, and we just want to make sure that we make progress on all of those. And I think the fact that the company has taken five months has maybe been a tactic to try to demoralize us. But as you can see, there's a lot of people out here. It seems like if anything, we're rallying people for our cause. CUNA Mutual
2: Employee and Local 39 member, Shaney Atkins, walking the line with her dog, George, was fired up by the turnout Saturday.
3: I think it's great that we have, we have we as many it. union members turning out for this picket as, we as we're seeing today. It's wonderful. When do we want
2: it? Adrienne a member of the United Faculty and Academic Staff at UW-Madison, or UFAS, described why she was there in solidarity.
1: I am out here because CUNA mutual workers deserve to have a fair contract. My understanding is their employer hasn't been all that responsive to their demands. Demands that I think are really, really reasonable. They want to make sure healthcare costs don't go up. They want to make sure that their pensions are safe. They want actually a, a wage increase that matches inflation. These things should should be rather easy gives when a company has had such a spectacular year and many companies have had spectacular years over the course of the pandemic. And I think it's about time that this company actually recognizes the value that is embodied in all of their employees.
2: Kevin gunluck president of the South Central Federation of Labor, or scuffle, was there and explained why this contract struggle is important for all Madison area workers.
0: Well, you know, I think workers know when they're getting... And that's what's happening. You have a company here that made $600 million in one year alone just last year and they're making hundreds of millions of dollars every year and then they're asking for takeaways. They like to talk about how they care about their community. Well, you don't care about your community when you get rid of 1200 jobs in 20 years and then say to those workers that live in this community that we're not going to give you even close to what the inflation is for a raise in fact they're offering probably less than a lot of other workers that are being impacted by act 10
2: who are really getting (laughs) by their employers as well that was Kevin Gunlock of Scuffle, one of the voices at Saturday's informational picket at CUNA Mutual Headquarters. OPEIU, Local 39, has promised continued pickets and community actions directed at Cuna Management until a fair contract is reached. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Chbosky. Well
3: run,
4: run, run, but you sure can't me. hide And I, bought a tooth for a tooth Vote for me and I'll set you free Rap on, brother, rap on
0: rap. The only person talking about love, and brother, is the preacher
1: Over the last few weeks, union organizing hit a speed bump at local Starbucks outlets. Frank Amsberg has the story.
6: By a vote of 21 to 1, workers at Starbucks Fitchburg voted down union representation by the United Food and Commercial Workers, or UFCW. The UFCW also withdrew petitions for elections at two Madison locations. Fierce company opposition is the main reason that union representation elections are lost as UFCW Local 1473 President Trey Griley pointed out in the isthmus, quote, It is not surprising, given the vicious anti-union program that these workers were subjected to, and the unfair and illegal termination of our active organizing committee at a neighboring store, end quote. The union leader said he will also exhaust all legal remedies. However, the workers at the Starbucks store on Main Street in Madison had just voted 15 to 1 to bring in their union. Nationwide, according to the estimates, workers at 231 Starbucks stores have had union representation elections, with 81% voting to unionize. So, while the Fitchburg loss is disappointing, one can also look at the many wins to see how workers at those stores were able to bring in the union. In the Madison case, at least, The workers at the Main Street Starbucks worked closely with members of the community to organize public displays of support. These displays of support showed workers in the store that they were not abandoned and isolated. Similar displays of support helped workers win at the Collectivo company earlier in the year. I'm Frank Emsbach, reporting for Madison Labor Radio.
0: Now here's Carol Weidel with the statistic of this week.
3: The statistic of the week is 28 months This is how long it took to recover from the covid recession that began in 2020 the level of employment returned to previous levels in just 28 months remember the great recession of 2007 the bursting of the housing bubble and the subprime mortgages contributed to that recession 75 months passed before jobs lost during that recession returned to previous levels why only 28 months compared to 75 months unlike previously Congress passed the CARES Act and the American Rescue Plan with the resulting faster recovery and many more jobs. Thanks to the Economic Policy Institute for this data. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel.
1: Next we'll hear a report on the growing political movement in South America and its implication for the working class across the continent.
4: Late last month, Colombia elected progressive candidate Gustavo Petra to the presidency joining countries like Mexico, Bolivia, Chile, and Peru in forming a growing block of left and center-left governments throughout Central and South America. Around the region, angry voters, pinched by the economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, and rampant inflation fanned by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, are mobilizing towards parties that promise a democratization of the economy and increased social spending. Luis Arce, member of the Bolivian political party Movement for Socialism, won the presidency of the country in an October 2020 snap election, with 55% of the popular vote. Other recent presidential wins in this arena include former student organizer Gabriel Boric in Chile and school teacher Pedro Castillo in Peru. Quote, There really is an important and clear movement happening in Latin America, even though different governments show different nuances, said Humberto Costa, Brazilian senator and member of the Leftist Workers' Party. The redrawing of political fault lines, with traditionally conservative governments like those of Chile and Colombia toppled, lends the potential of coordination between the new governments on wide swaths of economic policy. Such coordination could see a shift in relations with traditional regional partners like the United States, who has historically held economic primacy over the hemisphere. One economic area that may provide a basis for coordination between Central and South American nations is the energy sector. South American workers are feeling the impacts of a growing global energy crisis deeply as they rely on a limited number of foreign investments and and trading partners to refine the natural resources that workers pull from the ground. Mexico, for example, sends a large portion of its unrefined petroleum north to the United States for refinement and must buy back the end product at a loss. Recently, the president of Mexico, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, as pushed to eliminate the country's importation of refined gasoline from the U.S. in favor of funding internal infrastructure projects, which includes a plan of seven refineries by the end of 2023. Bolivia, with its lithium-rich salt flats, does not currently have the capacity to mass manufacture the resource into high-demand batteries, consequently sending shipments elsewhere for processing into a final product. Since taking office, Arce has made overtures similar to Obrador's, Seeking to revitalize the country's state-owned lithium operations and invest in the infrastructure needed for processing the raw material into a finished product. Whether the new class of South American leaders will have the necessary legislative mandates to enact their domestic vision is a topic that remains open to interpretation, but will almost certainly have bearing on their ability to coordinate actions amongst their partner nations. Arce's party in Bolivia has a decisive majority in both the lower and upper houses, while Petro must negotiate from a political position that has no clear majority in the legislative branch. In Peru, Castillo has moderated his position since taking office, which has created tensions within his own political party. In the near future though, observers of the renewed quote, pink tide in South America will be looking to Brazil, where the presidential election slated for October could tip the country away from its current conservative leadership under executive Jair Bolsonaro, with opinion polls showing former leftist president, Luis Inacio Lula da Silva, in a solid lead. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup.
0: Inflation has hit 9.1%. What are the causes of inflation? Frank Emspec has some insights.
6: There are many causes for inflation. One is the mysterious culprit called supply and demand. Another is the huge increase in profits that every major company has experienced in each of the last two years. The disruptions in the global supply chain are also mentioned as a culprit. Today, we will focus on the supply chain. Disruptions in the supply chain increase the cost of shipping and also create shortages, thus causing companies to raise prices to maintain their profit levels but the so-called disruptions in the supply chain have been caused in part by the deliberate action of the four largest U.S. freight railroads. Two years ago, the railroads began increasing freight rates, thus driving up costs. They also began laying off workers, so that by the beginning of this year, more than 30,000 workers had been laid off, that is 20% of the workforce. At the same time, dividends to shareholders were increased but major capital investments were not. In other words, one cause of the current inflation comes from the deliberate choices of the railroad companies that make up a proportion of costs to reduce services and raise prices. The result is a freight rail system that cannot respond to increasing demands, thus causing supply disruptions and shortages, further raising costs, and giving firms an excuse to raise prices in order to maintain profit levels. Statistical information used in this statistic of the week comes from the Federal Reserve and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I am Frank Emsback for Madison Labor Radio. Despite
1: a marked increase in petitions for union representation and unfair labor practice charges, the National Labor Relations Board is being forced to deal with this growing caseload with fewer staff.
7: Congressional funding from the National Labor Relations Board has remained flat for nine years, while the NLRB caseload has increased substantially. During the first nine months of fiscal year 2022, union representation petitions filed at the NLRB have increased 56% and unfair labor practice charges have increased 14.5% over the same period in fiscal year 2021. At the same time, the NLRB has received the same annual funding for the last nine years. Due to inflation, this amounts to a budget decrease of 25% since 2010. As a result, staff has been reduced dramatically, with 39% less overall staff and 50% fewer staff in the field offices responsible for handling elections and unfair labor practice charges. NLRB General Counsel Jennifer Abruzzo declared the agency urgently needs more resources to process petitions and conduct elections, investigate unfair labor practice charges, and obtain full remedies for workers whose labor rights have been violated. We need Congress to help us restore the capacity that we have lost after years of underfunding. I'm Keith Steffen reporting for Labor Radio. State workers are mobilizing
6: to get guns out of the workplace. State workers are at risk from those carrying concealed firearms into state buildings. Republican Governor Scott Walker had enacted orders allowing visitors to carry concealed weapons. Now, in response, members of the American Federation of Teachers are mobilizing. They are asking their union to support a statewide petition drive, urging Governor Evers to restore the policy that allows only peace officers and game wardens to carry firearms into Wisconsin state office buildings. The issue will be discussed at the upcoming Wisconsin-American Federation of Teachers Executive Board meeting next week. Labor Radio will report on the outcome. I'm Frank Emsbach for Labor Radio.
1: And now for
3: some announcements for our donors. Thank you to all our donors who contributed during a summer pledge drive. If you chose a thank you gift, it may be delayed. Our donor partner, Susan, reports that the glow-in-the-dark skull baseball-style cap offered during the summer pledge drive has been delayed due to fulfillment problems. Based on the current predictions of availability, donors who chose one or more as thank-you gifts should have them by the end of July. Thank you for supporting WORT and Labor Radio. <laughs>
0: A family-friendly and free unity picnic sponsored by the Urban League of Greater Madison and Southwest Madison Employment Center is scheduled for tomorrow, Saturday, from noon to 5 p.m. This picnic will be held at the Southwest Madison Employment Center at 1233 McKenna Boulevard right across from Elver Park. Free barbecue will be provided with sides. There will be a DJ, musicians, and face painting. More information is available on Facebook and by calling 608-620-8714.
1: Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Annette Kuhlman. Thanks to editors Frank Emsbach and Alan Luzerne. assistant Robin G., reporters Mike Bernard, Greg Gabowski, Sean Hagerup, Anna Hamm, Scott McCullough, Janine Ramsey, Tony Reeves, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Thank you as well to Website Coordinator J.J. Meyer. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our Reader Coordinator, and to all our readers and the members of the IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective.
0: And I'm Bert Zipper. I'd like to welcome back Annette from her time in Germany, and we'd also like to thank all of our generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Now, please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with Dave Watts we